Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. For our first episode of 2022, we've got a lot to catch up on, including what we thought of Spider-Man No Way Home. I'm Jeff Braun. We'll talk some Book of Boba Fett as well, and I'll tell you about a great new documentary about Super Dave Osborne. And I've been busy with Netflix checking out two of their biggest releases, latest seasons of Cobra Kai and The Witcher. The entire world is about to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Wait, everyone? Can't some people still know? That's not how the spell works. So MJ's gonna forget about everything we've ever been through? Stop tampering with the spell. Oh my god, Ned, he's my best friend. My Aunt May should really stop talking. What just happened? All right, so we're gonna give you a quick plot recap here and warning that spoilers are ahead. So we'll give you an immediate heads up before we spoil anything. Because this movie's been out since mid-December, so hopefully if you want to see it, you've seen it by now. But again, spoilers are coming shortly. So, this movie, the third Spider-Man film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, sees Peter Parker, our hero, decide that he wants everyone in the world to forget that he's Spider-Man because his secret identity was leaked to the world after the events of the second movie, Far From Home, and he goes to see Doctor Strange to cast a spell. But Parker interferes while Doctor Strange is casting the spell, screws everything up, and cracks open the multiverse. So now we've got Spider-Man villains from other worlds coming through into his world. So we get Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus and Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin, both of them from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. And then we have uh, Electro, played by Jamie Foxx from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And other assorted villains make their way through. And uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, Peter Parker has to figure out, along with Doctor Strange, how to set it all right. And it is awesome. It made $627 million domestic, Almost $1.4 billion worldwide. That's and counting, by the way. I say made as though it's done. It's still going and going steady. 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. And in its opening weekend, it outgrossed the next highest movie. And that movie's total for the year. Spider-Man opened with $260 million domestically. In second place for 2021 is Shang-Chi with $224 million total for the year. So that's crazy, insane box office for Spider-Man. It's it's moving along as though the pandemic is not happening. Jeff, what did you think? I loved it. And, and I think we've learned that the true magic of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that they've cracked the code on movies that have a ton of characters. I mean, they did it with the Avengers, but they've done it again because so, so many superhero franchises in the past, including uh, the two previous Spider-Man franchises, have sort of buckled under the weight of putting too many characters, usually villains, into their movies in an effort to keep topping themselves. I mean, that Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire trilogy had the exact that exact problem with Spider-Man 3, with the, the Venom character just painfully out of place and taking down a lot of the movie with it because they had to cram it in somehow. Here, though, everyone, I thought, you know, fits nicely. Everyone gets enough business to warrant their inclusion. And the ones 
ones that probably deserve maybe a little less attention, like the Lizard or Sandman or whatever, they do get less attention. Well, the ones you mentioned, Green Goblin, Doc Ock, and Electro get the proper attention. And here's the spoiler part of it all, people. So spoiler warnings if you haven't seen it and want to uh, hit mute right now. All the spiders men that showed up. I mean, if this isn't a redemption for the Garfield Spider-Man, the Andrew Garfield character, I don't know what it is. He's the best part of this movie and actually made me, you know, want to go back and give his movies another look. Um, MCU Spider-Man and Peter Parker. This movie is also a great story for that character with an ending that has a lot of weight to it and, you know, it'll affect everything that comes after it for both him and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's a late scene between uh, Peter Parker and Happy Hogan that still really confuses me, but honestly, when you add the multiverse into a mainstream superhero movie franchise with the promise of more to come in the MCU, I think Marvel's done just a wonderful job. They explain what needs to be explained so far, and they don't get bogged down in the weeds of it all. You just They set it up, they execute, it pays off, it's beautiful. And I think that, you know, even after all of the MCU stuff that we've had in the last year, the Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, the Disney Plus shows, all that stuff was good, but this was obviously what we were waiting for, and this was what really felt like we were back with the MCU uh, since the pandemic began. So four couch cushions out of five for Spider-Man No Way Home for me, Brett. What about you? I thought it was sensational, and as you mentioned, Marvel does such a marvelous job of juggling all of these characters. Alfred Molina... It was great to see him again, and I know that they did some digital de-aging, but it looked flawless. It was he, I thought he was so good in Spider-Man 2 as Dr. Octopus, so to get to see him come back was great. Jamie Foxx got to reimagine his Electro character a little bit, got a little bit of a redesign, wasn't so much of a dork, so that was good. But for me, I think Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin was just terrific. Peter, you're struggling everything you want while the world tries to make you choose. <laughs> and I loved how they modified his costume a bit uh, from the original film, eventually modifying it a bit. Because, like, why would you put a guy like Willem Dafoe, who has one of the gobliniest faces ever when he starts <laughs> contorting it, why would you put that yeah. behind a mask? It just it yeah. made no sense then, and uh, they, they fixed that. This movie seemed to fix everything that was ever wrong with any Spider-Man movie. As you mentioned, Andrew Garfield coming back. was It was redemption for the character. I won't explain what happens, but there is a major scene of redemption that's so emotional, it brought me to tears. So it's redemption for the character, based on the events of those first, uh, those two amazing Spider-Man movies. But redemption for Andrew Garfield as well, because he has loved Spider-Man since he was a kid, and this was like a childhood dream for him to get to play Peter Parker. So he was excited about that, about playing that role, but no one wanted him as Peter Parker because we were only a couple of years removed from the Sam Raimi trilogy, so it just felt too soon. I did go back and rewatch. Those two amazing Spider-Man movies. The first one is on Netflix. The second one, I watched it on demand through my cable. It's uh, available through Hollywood Suite. So if you have that package on your cable, then you might be able to watch it on demand. Uh, or, of course, you can just get your hands on a physical copy of it. And I will say that they are better second time round. And they're better with that time separation. 
Even the second one, which I know you hated, and I still hated Jamie Foxx's Electro, not because of Foxx's performance, but because of the direction they went with the character. He was just such a pathetic, pitiful nerd. Um, I didn't like that character at all, and I still didn't like it, but I think the movie was better, and I... I, I I give Garfield credit, and I'm I'm glad that I've gone back to revisit it. And it was also cool to see people in the in the in the um, theater getting excited again for different things. And I know this is tough because theaters are closed in Ontario and they're closed in Quebec, and who knows when they might close them elsewhere throughout Canada. So it's nice to get that glimpse of what it used to be like to go see a movie like this uh, before Omicron takes it all away from us again. But um, my initial assessment was four couch cushions out of five, just because I think there it, it was a big clunky movie, but they brought it home in the end with so much emotion. I, I need to see it again. I, I might end up upgrading this to four and a half couch cushions. Either way, it's awesome. It's everything I love about Spider-Man and more. Yeah, and it makes you wonder, like no other uh, mini franchise within the MCU has gone beyond three films now. But, I mean, you mentioned the money it made at the beginning. Surely there'll be a Spider-Man 4 coming down the pike. They can't just stop making sp- the Spider-Mans with, uh, in the current iteration at this point, can they? Oh, no way. There's no way they'll let, it, they'll let that go. I, I, think, I think Tom Holland wants to stay. And they're even talking about making another amazing Spider-Man movie with Andrew Garfield. And I also read they might even revisit the Sam Raimi-verse and make another (laughs) Tobey Maguire. So uh, I don't know what iterations we're going to see of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, whether they'll get their own standalone films or if they'll cross back over uh, through the multiverse. But we will see them again, by the looks of it, as Spider-Mans. So it's great. I love it. Because you can read... I, at one point, I remember I was collecting like three or four Batman comics. They're all the same character, but they're all different versions of the character telling different stories. So I don't have, I don't think I have a problem with multiple Spider-Mans uh, out there telling their own stories, as long as they're done properly. Yeah, but the spacing of it would still have to, because they're... There, you know, it, this is a good thing, but there's also such a thing as too much of a good thing, and... Uh, if there's like a brand new Spider-Man of a different iteration every year, people might might start getting burned out on that real quick, I would think. That's a good point. We saw that happen with Star Wars. People uh, didn't want Star Wars every year or twice a year. So, yeah, okay. Good reminder on that, Jeff. Yeah, we'll see. Hey, speaking of Star Wars, up next, we're going to tell you about their latest cool show that just dropped on Disney Plus a couple of weeks ago. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett, and we are two episodes into Disney Plus's The Book of Boba Fett. Jabba the Hutt once sat upon that throne. Jabba ruled with fear. I intend to rule with respect. Why speak of conflict? When cooperation can make us all rich. You all accrued wealth and riches under Jabba. You can again. With this man, Boba Fett. Who is this who enters unannounced? You know damn well. I'm the Grand Lord now. 
Tamira Morrison reprising his role as a Star Wars Universe's favorite bounty hunter, Boba Fett. He played uh, Boba's dad, Jango, in the prequel trilogy 20 years ago. And I guess because of the cloning of it all, they decided to make him Boba Fett as well, which they probably didn't have to do. And, I mean, he turned 61 on Boxing Day. Doesn't exactly scream action star to me, but okay. Ming-Na Wen, uh, age 58, plays his right-hand assassin. She's actually always good in anything she's in, so that makes a bit more sense with her there. Uh, we find out how he survived the Sarlacc Pit in Return of the Jedi, and damned if it wasn't the exact same thing that comedian Patton Oswalt, Oswalt predicted in an improvised moment on Parks and Recreation a decade ago. And pan down from the twin sons of Tatooine, uh, we are now close on the mouth of the Sarlacc Pit. After a beat, the gloved Mandalorian armor gauntlet of Boba Fett grabs onto the sand outside the Sarlacc Pit, and the feared bounty hunter pulls himself from the maw of the sand beast. Okay, this is and exactly... And we realize uh, that he survived his fall uh, during the battle at Jabba's uh, palace ship. You can find videos on social media of Pat Oswalt delivering that speech while we see all of it literally happening in the first episode of Boba Fett. Pretty wild that either they copied him on purpose or he somehow predicted the future. Anyways, the story of the show is that Boba Fett is now taking over Jabba the Hutt's empire and now has to assert himself over the criminal underworld on Tatooine. And two episodes in, uh, it's fine. He's going to have trouble with the local mayor. And most of episode two was him teaching a band of Tusken Raiders how to drive or something like that. It's watchable enough, if not terribly exciting so far. Uh, there was a, a good, uh, a fun action piece at the end of that second episode, I thought. I, I'm confused about the timeline. I think this Tusken Raider stuff is all a flashback to right after he escaped the Sarlacc pit, but I think he also referred to it as a dream, so... Does that mean it didn't really happen? I may have zoned out and missed a crucial link. I'm not sure. But if The Mandalorian taught us anything, Brad, it's that these series will just kind of start slowly and get really good quickly once they sort of figure out what's working and what isn't and what's important and what isn't. So I'm still very much in, even if I haven't been blown away quite yet. What do you think? Well, first of all, I'm blown away at what you said about Ming-Na Wen. She's 58? I think her birthday was uh, 1962. Oh, yeah. Wow, I had no idea she was almost 60 years old. I knew that she wasn't like in her 20s, uh, but that's crazy. She does not look 58 years old and uh she's yeah, she looks great and her her action skills are still tremendous. Yeah, she's awesome. She was great in Agents of Shield. I'm enjoying it and yeah, it, I mean we're just sort of scratching the surface right now. I think that uh, the guy who plays Boba Fett, I know you just said his name, Tamira Morrison. I couldn't remember it. I had to find it in your script. He is cool. I like the his delivery where he says things like, it's not looking so good for you. We're just He's got that sort of cool, <laughs> gravelly delivery. And I know that that's always been Boba Fett's way, but uh, he's got it down pat. I like the, the interactions with the Tusken Raiders. We already learned a little bit more about them in The Mandalorian, that they weren't just these mindless monsters that we always thought them to be from that original Star Wars trilogy. And uh, I dig it. I'm looking forward to seeing more. The action's cool. It, it would be nice if everything wasn't always set on Tatooine in Star Wars, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm well, enjoying it. Didn't you, you would expect that a, a TV show about Boba Fett would be 
a, a series of him uh, doing bounty hunts because he was a bounty hunter, right? And the first thing this thing did, even before the series came out, I guess we knew it from the Mandalorian season two, where he actually literally sits on Jabba's throne that it wasn't it wasn't going to be a show about him being a bounty hunter. I, I sort of wish that it was because I think that would land a real, you know, real easy uh, story of the week kind of uh, structure that the season could have had if he's just chasing down one crook after another. Yeah, and I also I kind of in, I'm sort of enjoying the 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 flashbacks mixed with the the present day storyline. I'm sort of hoping they move away from the flashbacks because it's very much a half and half show right now. Even more so of the flashbacks than the present day stuff. I'm guessing that will sort of whittle its way down as we make it make our way through this first season of the Book of Boba Fett, which airs Wednesdays on Disney Plus. So if you don't have Disney Plus. You should probably get on that. But in a moment, we're going to switch from Disney Plus to Netflix to tell you about Cobra Kai and The Witcher. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. In recent weeks, Netflix released the new seasons of two of its biggest shows. And on New Year's Eve, it was season four of this. Daniel LaRusso. Does it really come down to this? Johnny Lawrence playing second fiddle. I just want what's best for Miguel and all of your students. So now you know what's best for Miguel. Circle around things your whole life. Wait for problems to show up at your doorstep. You cannot strike first with this guy. You just don't want to admit there's always been a little Cobra Kai in you. Cobra Kai, season four of the continuation of the Karate Kid saga from the 1980s, a show that I have said repeatedly has no business being as good as it is. It first appeared on YouTube. It was a YouTube Red show for the first two seasons, and I didn't know a single person who watched it. Then Netflix picked it up, and it becomes an international smash hit because it's actually really, really good. The story sort of picks up from the perspective of Johnny Lawrence, who is the villain of the first movie of The Karate Kid. And he's this washed-up bum, sort of his life's gone nowhere. He's borderline alcoholic. Uh, he's just a, he's a doofus. But karate manages to help him start to turn his life around, even though his rivalry with Daniel LaRusso remains and they have this on again off again thing so the first season was tremendous it has excellent comedy great drama very relatable the kids the student characters their storylines are just as important and relatable as the adults season two was still pretty good went a little over the top with some of the karate fights like they they have this massive karate brawl in the school and it's kind of ridiculous the third season, I think, reined it in a little bit and had some really nice emotional moments. And when I thought, like, how much more of this story can they do? Well, season four delivered. They brought back Terry Silver, who is the bad guy in the Karate Kid 3. And I actually... I don't remember if I've even seen that movie because I have no memory of this guy whatsoever. So either I watched the movie and just forgot about it or never watched it at all. Did you watch The Karate Kid 3, Jeff? 
The, I don't know. I Maybe if I took a look at this guy, it might shake something. I know I've seen the second one because he goes to Japan. And I remember even as a kid thinking, this is not nearly as good as the first one. So I may have dropped out before the third one ever came around. Yeah. And that second, you're right. The second one was not nearly as good as the original. But how could you capture that? Lightning in a bottle once again. But season four of Cobra Kai, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I am very much enjoying this show. And I was kind of hoping when I started watching season four, I thought, I hope this is it. Like, this has to be the end of this series. But then they tell, they finish the story, but they open the door for more great stories. So I want to see season five. We will get a fifth season of this show. It's just the writing is so good. The acting is so good. And I even saw a video on YouTube. I can't remember who was behind it, if it was GQ or whatever, some magazine. But uh, it was Andrew Garfield was, uh, he was gifted a video by the cast of Cobra Kai because I guess Garfield is a big fan of the show. So they got all the members of the cast, including LaRusso, um, La Ralph Macchio and William Zabka, who play Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence, to say hey to Andrew Garfield and thanks for watching the show. So I thought that was pretty cool. And it speaks to the power of this show that this is not just some fly-by-night thing like a lot of people around the globe are enjoying it. So uh, if you haven't, if you liked the original Karate Kid, or even if you didn't, like if you've never watched it, who cares? Just give it a shot. Try the first episode of Cobra Kai and... Uh, I almost, I'm almost willing to guarantee you will enjoy it. If you did like The Karate Kid, absolutely you will enjoy it. Just to have, I'll quickly ask you, Jeff, I can't remember. Have you watched any of The Cobra Kai yet? I have not watched The Cobra Kai yet. It's okay. on my list. It'll be uh, for whenever I need a, like what's a four or a five season thing to burn through. I'll, I'll get on it. And the episodes are shorter. Uh, they're not, some of them are, like they vary. Some of them are around the half hour mark. I think some of them are around 40 minutes, but it's a quicker uh, run through if you're in a like a major you're on a mission to binge through that so cobra kai season four is great and also great a significant improvement in fact on its first season season two of the witcher something has changed girl the world's acting strange these days the north and south at war Monsters roaming when they should be hibernating. Maybe it's the end of days. Are you willing I've lived through three supposed end of days. It's all horseshit. So The Witcher... I don't even think I'm going to try to explain the plot, really, because it's, it's complicated. I will... Briefly say that Henry Cavill plays the Witcher, Geralt of Rivia. He's a mutated monster hunter. He uh, develop, He's a beast hunter who develops supernatural abilities at a young age, part of a, a sort of a society of these beast hunters, and they, they get their abilities at a young age so that they can fight monsters. And the Witcher actually started as a series of books, later became a series of video games, and now we have this television series on Netflix. The first season was cool, but it was confusing and I dare say clunky because they had to bring together these three characters. So there's Geralt of Rivia, the Witcher. There's 
Yennefer of Vengerberg. She is the mage. And then there is Princess Cirilla of Sintra. And they're all on different timelines. And at times I found it difficult to like figure out what timeline are we in and what's happening here. And I even rewatched season one after season two, and I still found it confusing. I enjoyed it more second go around, but it was still confusing. Season two, that's all gone. This is very much a linear straightforward story and its improvements are vast and it shows and just looking at Rotten Tomatoes 68% for the first season 94% for that second season so that's great plus I really should have watched season one like rewatched it first before watching season two because it's been two years like the first season of The Witcher came out in 2019 and this now comes out in December of 2021 so I remembered broad strokes but I did not remember a whole lot I kept having to stop and google things and I thought I did this in the wrong order but I was anxious to see the new season so uh, there you go The Witcher Henry Cavill Henry Cavill is awesome in this show by the way and uh, they're talking about maybe replacing him. He might not come back for the third season, so I don't like that. And he's got long blonde hair in it, or is that is that what he's is that what his hair is? Yep, long. It's like white. His long white yeah, hair. Okay. That seems ugh. After seeing him as Superman and even as uh, the bad guy in Mission Impossible Fallout, uh, long white hair on him would take some getting used to. I think it was weird. It was really weird because I thought I'm looking at sp- at Superman here, but he's got white hair, yeah. and I don't know what to make of this. And he's got he can make his eyes go black when he uh, when he sort of hulks out and does his mutant thing. But um, he's good. He's really good, and he's got this. He does you know like the the classic gravel voice. That's the right. only way he knows how to speak in this show. It's, I'm Geralt of Rivia, and I will cut your head off, beast. Like, it's everything he says, but he, he sounds so good. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I like this. I also got to tell you about this show that makes its uh, debut Sunday on Showcase. A Showcase exclusive. Are you sure about this, sir? No, Major, I'm not. The world's greatest action hero. This son of a bitch is our only hope. Has returned again. We need you, MacGruber. And like last time, it's personal. Who let the dog out? My country has invited me to die for it, and I RSVP'd yes, Queen. Uncle Sam tells you to jump, and you go get your jumping shoes. I will smell you later. MacGruber, new series premieres Sunday on Showcase, also available on Stack TV. MacGruber, the the MacGyver sort of knockoff sketch that Saturday Night Live started. Gosh, how long has it been since that? Sketch was a thing. Do you you remember? I have. It's got to be at least fifteen years ago. I mean, Will Forte hasn't even been on Saturday Night Live in like ten years, so it's old. It's old, and the movie's old. Uh, have you ever seen the movie? No, I River? never watched it because it got such awful reviews. I just stayed yeah. away from it. It got awful reviews from critics in the moment, and since then, it has uh, gained this cult status, and a lot of, of you know comedians and co- people that. Are in comedy and no comedy will say it's one of the funniest movies of all time. I watched it for the first time last year and I laughed a lot. And it is, believe me when I tell you, it's one of the most uh, foul movies you've ever seen, mm. which I was not expecting. Only because on Saturday Night Live, of course, they, I mean they they can get a little bit you know dirtier than uh, primetime TV or whatever. But it's still network television, and there are you know rules. But on, in the movie, it's like, oh my god, that's insane! How filthy that was. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So maybe I'll have to look up yeah. the movie and then, because that's funny. Every time I hear that promo too, where he says, and IRSVP'd Yas Queen. Um, <laughs> it just, every time it catches me off guard and I laugh. So I think I will check that out. In a moment, we are going to talk about Super Dave and the Matrix. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Brett has got a review of a movie he's been waiting for for over 20 years coming up in just a few minutes. But first, if you're a fan of Super Dave Osborne or Marty Funkhauser from Curb Your Enthusiasm, there's a terrific new documentary about Bob Einstein out on Crave right now. If Bob knew a documentary was being made about him, he would act like he didn't like it, and he would love every minute of it. Hey, Funkhauser! I think you get a kick out of the fact that I have to sit here and do this knowing that I really don't want to. I think he would love it, and I think he would want to be in it mostly by himself. <laughs> I was obsessed with him instantly. He was always very dry. He mixed these corny old jokes with his weird, angry approach. The straight man's usually what the funny man bounces off of, but he's both. Einstein was one of the funniest people on the planet as far as I'm concerned, so I dove into this new documentary as soon as I heard it was there out on Crave. It's from HBO. It's called The Super Bob Einstein Movie, and it tracks his career and his family life. Uh, his dad was a comedic actor. His brother is Albert Brooks, so being funny runs in the family. And there are a lot of interviews with his comedy friends and colleagues like David Letterman, Steve Martin, and Tommy Smothers of the Smothers Brothers, and a lot of people from Curb Your Enthusiasm. I would say the lion's share of the work collecting interviews the documentary was done on the set of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Jerry Seinfeld also gets a lot of talking head screen time too, which I get that they, you know, air interview snippets with Seinfeld because he's Seinfeld, but the first time he even met Bob Einstein was the scene they did together on Curb a decade ago, so it's not like they were best friends or anything. Nevertheless, it's there. The best part of the documentary, though, is that they show clips of Super Dave, which are A, funny as hell, and B, really took me back. I remember watching Super Dave as a kid, and there was definitely a time when I first started watching it where I was sort of thinking, so this is a real variety show and things keep going wrong. The host seems upset all the time. Like I didn't get that it was all supposed to be comedy, not just the stunt at the end that would invariably go wrong and see him get tragically hurt. Um, my favorite bit, though, on those old shows was Stump the Band. They used to do a thing where a Caribbean steel drum band would come out on stage. The audience would throw out the names of some popular songs in an effort to stump the band. And then the band would say, yeah, we know that one. And then they just played the same song every time while Super Dave grew more and more uh, uh, perturbed by them. It was hilarious. There was just a stupid genius to the whole Super Dave show. Bob Einstein, of course, also was on the show Bizarre. You might remember that one where he uh, often played, a, I believe it was a lecherous producer or something, if I'm not mistaken. And he was Officer Judy on the Smothers Brothers, which I remember seeing here and there. That must have been reruns or maybe they did some specials later on. But Bob Einstein would pop up and stuff all the time. And I always got very excited when he did because I just loved his super dry star style. Like he was so dry that you you almost worried you, you would tune him out before he got to the joke. I, I don't think there's anyone been drier than Bob Einstein. So when he showed up on Curb Your Enthusiasm all those years ago, my brain melted. He was so funny on there. And he became a, a different kind of foil for Larry just by his demeanor and his energy. Uh, he definitely had a unique vibe. Again, if you're a fan of his, if you love Super Dave, the Super Bob Einstein movie, the documentary, it's out on Crave right now. Absolutely worth a look. And I got to quickly tell you about this. No one can be told what the Matrix is. You gotta see it to believe it. 
time to fly. This is it. This is your last chance. I never believed I was the one, but she did. We were on our way to remake your world. I know it's why you're still fighting and why you will never give up. Come on, Neo, fight! Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss are back for The Matrix Resurrections. And indeed, as Jeff mentioned, this is a movie that I have been excited about for a very long time because the original Matrix from 1999 is my favorite movie ever. And even though the sequels, a lot of people hate them, I still like them. I quite like them a lot, actually. So this one, I was skeptical going into it. And it... A lot of people hated this movie. 64% on Rotten Tomatoes, so that's not great. And I was on YouTube just watching some reviews to see what uh, some other people thought, and the YouTube reviewers that I watched hated this movie, tore it to shreds. So if you plan to watch this, keep that in mind, because what they hated about it was how self-aware it is. It's very meta. This is a movie that is aware of its existence, and I can't really explain anymore without kind of ruining it for you but I didn't mind that so much I think they went a little too far with that stuff but in the end I found this to be a very emotional film and the the final act of this film was just spectacular with its action it still had some really cool action nothing new here like there's no new mind-blowing revolutionary technology it's just I thought it was just fun to go back to the Matrix, although its box office is pathetic so far. $106 million worldwide for a movie that opened a couple weeks ago. For The Matrix, that's not very good, but I liked it. Four couch cushions out of five. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Couch Potatoes.